Hey, this is Tony Schaefer, The Hard Truth. Powered by Six Hour, never settle. We're on the American Out Loud Talk Radio Network, and here we are in our latest episode of The Hard Truth. And we have a, a series of things we want to go through today. Uh, obviously, I want to do a, a really good shout out to Six Hour, who uh, I never have a, uh, I'm, I'm never uh, far away from a six hour weapon. Just say it. Whatever you, whatever you think I mean by that, I mean by that. So uh, today we're going to be joined by uh, our usual suspects, Elizabeth Breckenkamp and Chris Cordani. Uh, and then our special guest this week is senior fellow from the London Center for Policy Research and Project Sentinel, Tim Fury. So uh, this is going to be a bit of a once over the world because one of the things we want to do with the hard truth is actually try to provide people information that matters without the, the I guess, the editorialization and political wrangling that people tend to do. So, Tim, welcome to The Hard Truth. Always great to be here, Tony. Yeah, so uh, Tim is a is someone I, I admire by the fact that he knows things I have no clue about. And so uh, it's good to have someone who can actually talk in languages which uh, we don't understand. And I, I'd like him to kind of go through that today and help educate us because there's some real issues coming up. Some have already been brought up regarding uh, the digital currency market and Bitcoin. And they're not the same. People, I think, tend to throw them in together. And I'd like to have Tim explain that a little bit today. And then also go through the, the FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried fiasco and what that means for folks and all that. So, uh, Tim, at first, uh, give us a little bit about your background. So, the uh, you know, this is actually radio. I know that we're we, we we'll, we're taping this, so we'll we'll have a, an audio and ver visual uh, video version both. But we'd like to have you kind of explain for the audience who you are and uh, how you came to work in the areas you do. Great, thanks, Tony. I really appreciate that. So, I think I'm a person that wears uh, quite a few hats. So, from a professional level, I've um, you know, spent a lot of years doing investment banking, capital markets, and Wall Street. Worked everywhere from the Fed um, in uh, Federal Reserve Board of Governors and central in the U.S. central banks, right out of school, to then go into more of a traditional capital market role. I've been blessed to been all over the world. Worked on all kinds of deals, and but at that same time, I always always have the passion for freedom, economic development, a lot of the things that make America the great country that it is. So that's one of the things that I knew, um, you know, the, obviously the gentleman that formed uh, the London Center, Herb London. Dr. London, and, yeah. uh, This is how I met Tony and then came along with the, the other great group of uh, patriots that really work, um, work with him to really get a lot of these ideas out there. And I work also for Club for Growth, um, served on a lot of campaigns I've run myself. So kind of been the world between kind of the the business and economic side, as well as the you know the public policy and civil rights end of things as well. So wear so, a lot of hats, but it's a it's a fun time. So I, that that this let's take a little sidebar and do the civil rights thing. One of the things I hope you don't mind me mentioning is I would see you out in in New York doing things, protesting things with groups which aren't necessarily conservative. But I thought it was great, and, and I and I was like, good on you, Tim. Uh, you want to talk a little about that because I thought there was things that we you you actually reached out to the other side on, which were legitimately like these are constitutional issues that everybody should be, should be paying attention to, but people somehow weren't doing it. So, 
Yeah, I, I think let's take one example. There's, there's several of them. When we look at, let's say, after the George Floyd, the Black Lives yeah. Matter, um, a lot of those protests and things like that. I think from like a Republican and conservative side, this was an incredibly wasted opportunity, right? Because what you were really looking at was this civil war within the Democratic Party. So having gone to, let's say, a lot of those protests in, in Philadelphia, in, in New York, uh, and other places like that, and just listening to what people were saying. Yes, you did have some people that were, were bashing Trump, but other than that, it wasn't really anything against the Republican Party. It was a, lo- a bunch of these, you know, big state, big police power, a lot of the things that, you know, are core democratic principles. And so this was a, an opportunity for a lot of Democrat, a lot of Republicans to come out there and say, hey, look, we, we're actually you know, you may never have considered us, but we're actually more ideologically aligned than you thought. I mean, you, you got that great video of where you had a lot of these, um, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and the Tea Party people meeting on the national lawn and then getting up on stage. And it's like, well, we're talking about the same thing. I mean, right. even if you look at like, and I know there's a lot of folks that aren't really into the whole defund the police thing, right? And there's some real problems with that ideology. Right. But, you know, the whole defund the police is... That's not something that really came out of this movement. That's a takeoff of the defund the ATF movement that came out of the the 90s when you had Ruby Ridge, Waco, where you had a lot of, let's say, white middle America conservatives running around talking about, you know, abuses by uh, police powers. And so the from an ideological standpoint, there's a lot more alignment than people think. And the win elections you have to actually build those coalitions. And I think that's one of the things that at least folks on the right don't really realize of, of who really their their allies are and who they should be speaking to. Well, we're, we've promoted the outreach, as you know, from day one. And that's one of the reasons I, I was proud that you bugged me constantly for a while there, Tim, to bring you on. And I thank you for doing it because obviously, you know, I get distracted being a senior citizen and all now, you know, I, I have to remember where I <laughs> I park my, my Oldsmobile sometimes, yeah, but I would put you stuck in there, so thank you. But with that said, uh, no, I think we, we we are obligated as, I think, enlightened conservatives, I don't know if I can, can I use that term, uh, to, that have recognized that uh, old school conservatism, it's dead. Uh, I think we, we owe it to ourselves to embrace libertarianism, to embrace uh, constitutional issues, even if it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, I was at a ball game a few years ago and you'll, I think I've told you this story, but I don't think the audience necessarily has heard it. Uh, a college friend, a female friend, uh, I never dated her, just friends, just a, a colleagues from college, were sitting at a Washington uh, Nationals game for Wright State University night, you know, where there's uh, alumnus of, of, you know, of Wright State. And she obviously knew I was Trump 2020. I was one on the campaign at the time. And she looked over at me, says, well, you know, you guys are really frightening people with all this pro-Second Amendment talk. And I looked at her as like, how do we frighten people by trying to encourage people to, to use their right? Well, I have I have black friends who are actually talking about getting guns. I said, what? <laughs> well, you don't understand. These people may arm up. It's like, do you do you understand how racist what you just said really is? Well, Tim, well, I mean, well, seriously, it's like, how do you not listen to what you just said? Well, there's, there's certain things, and having spent a, a great deal of time going within the civil rights movement and understanding progressive narratives and things like that, I can tell you there are certain forms of racism that are still very much accepted. 
saying yeah. that people of color are fundamentally more violent, that they should not have the same Second Amendment rights, things like that, is yeah. still very much tolerated. And and uh, yeah, and then once I'm sure you once I'm sure you raised that issue, she probably demurred and and kind of disappeared because I've had that that issue too, where you'll have uh, tropes that basically say. Well, we think uh, it's okay in a rural environment, but not an urban one. Well, do you think voting wow. rights should be a different in an urban environment versus uh, a rural one? So, well, and the other thing, very I, good I, point. well, two points while we're on this subject before we get back to crypto, we're going to be all over the map today, folks. Uh, is uh, the whole idea that the left has used gun control as oh, we we just want to do this because it, it's safe, it, it creates safer conditions, which is the opposite. It's really fundamentally based on Jim Crow. Basically, it uh, goes back to the late, uh, I think it was probably the late 1870s, uh, 1880s, 1890s, where obviously Southern whites did not want, uh, by the way, Democrats, Southern white Democrats did not want black uh, newly freed individuals from having guns. And I think what, what every, anytime I see a minority come out and say, trying to create conditions for people to have more access to Second Amendment rights is, is fascism and racism, I just scratch my head because it, nothing could be further from the truth. Do you want to talk up to touch on that for a minute or is that something you want to stay away from? Yeah, you know, you don't really necessarily see, unless they're the politicians, a lot of people of color that go out about it. Usually you see about a bunch of white progressives doing that, right? Because again, there is a lot. Oh, there was a guy in Florida just recently who came out against DeSantis's constitutional carry idea, saying it was fascist. And and uh, and, uh, I mean, I tweeted it. It's on my Twitter. I think, I think, check I think a lot of these people don't even know even what the whole what, oh, what fascism I, even means anymore. Um, that's what look, I use. I mean, look, I'm I'm not exactly one of the biggest proponents of, of of constitutional carry. I know that there's people within even our organization that would that have differing opinions on that. But right. To say it's fascism right. is crazy. I mean, look, you you're looking at you know, licensing schemes in places like where I'm originally from, New York City and, uh, you know, Boston, things like that, that are explicitly designed to, you know, discriminate against people of color, members of the LGBTQ exactly. community, uh, anybody that's considered undesirable. And they're still on the books. Yeah. And, the one, and, one, and the one of the, if you ever want to, because I like to, to win arguments really quickly. And one of the things to say, it's like, all right, well, all right, if these aren't discriminatory, would you apply the same standards to voting? And of exactly. course, that's Exactly. The conversations right there because yeah. they know it is right. I mean, I published an article, uh, I think it was a year or so ago, um, uh, gun, uh, the gun control movements, uh, black lives matter problem, because if you look at everything that movement stands for, it's everything that's the antithesis of what the uh, gun control movement's about. And they yeah. don't like to talk about it. I mean, with a, you think about all of these issues of like, progressivism and things like that, and all it's very much based on racial this and racial that, except for gun control, where all of a sudden, nobody wants to talk about any of the issues of equity and discrimination and things like that. It just magically disappears. Right. So, and then, just to, again, to remind our audience, we are actually sponsored by Sig Sauer and Never Settle. And uh, obviously, uh, I'm pro-gun, just saying, because, you know, I carry them. Uh, just for the for the audience to know, I actually carried Sig Sauer in combat. And uh, when it matters, uh, or to me, having a weapon available, SIG is always my choice. And, and uh, you will see me always out and about with a SIG. Let's continue our conversation on this because I think it's important, Tim, for people to understand that the left has, I think, hijacked many concepts uh, that should have been used to promote freedom, to include freedom 
not only of speech, which I would argue they're kind of uh, doing some things to damage that right now, but the Second Amendment, I think, is linked to the First Amendment. And with that said, one of the things that uh, they use often in using their First Amendment right is um, the term assault weapon or assault rifle. And uh, I've been in the military. I was in the military for 30 and a half years. I'm now officially retired. I've got a, a, the ID card and free medical care to prove it. Uh, but my point being is that that term itself is, or, or it comes from the term Sturmgewehr. Sturmgewehr uh, was the name given by Adolf Hitler to the STG 4445, which was a, essentially a, a uh, rifle uh, that was a select that had both a, a selector on it. You could go from single fire to machine, basically uh, automatic. Uh, that selector switch obviously made it into a machine gun by 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 the the fact you could turn it onto that. Uh, I don't understand how people don't understand that using essentially they've adopted a term created by Adolf Hitler to promote their very severe concepts and restrictions of uh, disarming the American public. How why don't why do we allow this to happen? Where they use li literally a term pinned uh, by Adolf Hitler as the promotional point of their policy to disarm the American public? Well, I think the problem is on the, the gun control lobby, there's, there's a ton of ignorance on that side. Um, yeah. There's very little knowledge of even how guns function. Um, That's true. I don't, I don't understand how people who it's their jobs, like what do these guys do all day, right? How do they not get educated, watch some YouTube videos? This isn't all that complicated, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, they're still going around not knowing, you know, which end of the gun the bullet goes in. I mean, these are actual things that I've that I've seen. I mean, Dian, yeah. Dian, I give one of my favorite examples, a little bit dated, but um, you know, Diane Feinstein just announced her retirement. She's up there at one of the biggest advocates over for decades of, of gun safety, and she literally almost murdered. Uh, a bunch of reporters and our colleagues with an AK-47, and this is this is all on on film. It's wow. all out there. There's no conspiracy theories out there, and yet she was never charged at all with this. Um, I think the the other one we're talking about now, we're talking about let's say common sense gun laws. Probably the biggest one is 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 Hunter Biden, right? And I think yeah. we'll talk about a segue into a little bit more of this later. But you know, he certainly committed multiple gun crimes, right? right. So how forget anything they did with the meth or or any of the misogyny or any of all these other things. This is black and white felony gun crimes that he did. Gun gun crimes that if throwing a gun, uh, a loaded gun away in a garbage can, you could have had a kid find that or somebody, you know, you like, how is this being covered up? And so when we talk about issues of, let's say, you know, white supremacy or white privilege, or I mean, that's Hunter Biden is, is violations of gun laws, things like that. But again, these are things that that few people really want to grab and run with and ask those hard questions. Well, I, that's the hard question and hard truth is why we're here right now. So that's clearly what we're trying to get to the bottom of. And and to that point, though, uh, we will, probably won't have time to explore it to the level we I would like today. But clearly, uh, Tim, you brought up the point of of a clear violation of federal law. If you or I did what Hunter was accused of. There's no doubt that we would be incarcerated, incarcerated, processed, probably out on bail, fighting for our professional lives based on the fact that uh, we violated uh, the ATF rules. And this is something that 
I do want to touch back on based on a little bit before we get to crypto. We got to get to cryptocurrency, but I, I promise the audience we will. The ATF and this whole brace issue. Um, boy, I I um, I shake my head every time I look at that ruling. That ruling is so badly written. Uh, technically, I can see where people could say, well, I'm not going to comply because the thing I do, the brace I use actually helps me do what it was designed to do, which is help brace the, the, the firearm and I can't put it on my shoulder. And it's, it's very, in, in many ways, in my judgment, vague. I mean, it's not really clearly written. And to me, the idea that a piece of plastic is somehow so powerful, literally a, a piece of plastic that goes on the back of a firearm uh, is so powerful, so dangerous, that they now have to essentially take and make a, a something that over, I think, over um, at least 30 million Americans have as a common use weapon. It's going to be now be illegal uh, to, to, to possess without registration. Uh, I can get what do you think of that? Yeah, so I love so I've actually spent way too many years of my life actually looking at all the nuances of these these firearms laws laws over time. Yeah. Um, so I actually haven't read that particular ruling. I know what you're talking about, but let me just say this because I think that one of the ways the NRA has just issued a lawsuit, I think, yesterday on this. But let's look at this from a progressive standpoint here, right? We are we have now been inundated with all this talk about criminal justice reform, right? Right. How are we? We have this nationwide system where we have more prisoners than any other development developing country, developed country in the world, right? All these people that are going to jail, filling the jails, private prisons, not being rehabilitated, all of this stuff, being abused, coming out, worst criminals they went on on. And now you have a ruling that takes people that have already passed background checks, let's say 30 million of them. Right. Already passed background checks. We already assume that they're a good guy because otherwise, if it wasn't for this brace, they could still own the gun legally. And yet now we're going to incarcerate them for nonviolent offenses. Like this yeah. is absolutely That's insane. It. And and, 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 and and people should go to, and again, this is the ATF is not a legislative ruling, but any legislator behind this, you got to say you should be being hit with. Why are you trying to fill our prisons? And this is a prime example of this. This is why, again, if you want to, the easiest way to solve the prison problem, right, is to be preventative with it, right? Let's look at our laws and let's get, get rid of the BS laws that don't need to be there so that you keep people out of the prison industrial complex, right? Right. And, and then you get this. And then you're like, how did this happen? How is the Biden administration now looking to put tens of millions of more Americans through the prison cycle, right? We didn't see Donald Trump do this. But Joe Biden is trying to do this. And and then and then the, the reason what we have to do is then start taking these, um, you know, the, these thought processes and, and and getting them to the advocates of the people of prison reform so that they're voting for people who are actually for the policies that they believe in and not just, you know, they, they, they're all about it, but then wind up voting for the wrong people. And that's where the policy has to go. So to that point, uh, one of, just to give you an example of what you're talking about, Obviously, there was a shooting in Michigan. Uh, three people were murdered by a guy named uh, Anthony McRae. Uh, he was, I guess, 43. Uh, notably, of course, the politicians are all screaming, oh, we need to take people's guns. Uh, to that point, um, this guy was actually uh, arrested for a felony gun charge back in 2019, but they let him go. So, uh, like, you look back on this by, of course, a Democrat. It was a Democrat judge. So, my, Tim, my point is, is like some of these people uh, clearly do not, cannot safely own a firearm. So 
maybe that should be our focus, not going after 30 million people who clearly have passed background checks and safely own firearms, right? I mean, yeah. I've got guns in my house right now. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're not going to go off randomly and just start shooting people. Yeah, someone has to pick it up and do it. As a matter of fact, we're going to be doing a, a show soon about the the Alec Baldwin uh, trigger thing. You know, triggers just don't don't pull themselves. But that's my point: is that there is a difference between legal gun gun ownership with those who actually understand how to properly use and protect them, and then some guy who's a felon who basically is caught with a, uh, on a felony gun charge, but they just let him go. It's like, oh yeah, no big deal. And then he offends again. And then, then and then of course, they're surprised. Like, oh, we didn't see this coming. But the guy was charged with a felony in 2019. You let him go. Yeah. And you, but it, uh, ha. So clearly, it seems to me they want chaos because it, it's not the gun. It's not the guys who own the gun legally. It's the criminal who has essentially a criminal act, a criminal record who should be the one focused on. And again, it's not a black or white thing. Criminals are criminals. Criminals come in all flavors, sizes, and uh, and uh, beliefs. So it, it should be focused on those who offend, not those who don't offend. What do you, what do you say on that? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think even taking a step back, um, you look at these things. One of the easiest ways to to fix this this problem is that you got to get the the gun control lobby has got to stop hiring idiots. Of, of people who just yeah. clearly know, who have no idea what they're doing. They were probably some congressional staff or somewhere, and an opening came up and they joined in this. They know nothing about farms, nothing about any of these things. Because when you do have incidents happen, there may be certain policies that could actually create real lasting change and prevent future tragedies from happening. But because these people have no idea what they're doing, it's all let's ban guns and put people in jail and and all this other nonsense. Yeah. And, and again, then you run into the problem as you were highlighting is, and this is something that was very, very much clear under the Obama administration where they were trying to pass all these common sense laws, but at the same time, weren't enforcing the ones that were already out there. Right. So what is really the, the point of this, unless you are now creating a system where all of these gun owners are, are in violation or, or violation could be found, but now you're selectively enforcing it over perhaps on geography, perhaps on, you know, communities or whatever it is. And, and, and that's like a Soviet style way of doing things. And that's not something we should, we should be instituting here. Well, we should have policies that work, that save lives and that, and that really honor the constitutional values that make America the great place it is. Well, that's where, boy, that's why, you know, obviously I, I appreciate and admire you and your courage for being able to actually speak up about this. Uh, as someone who's not my age, we'll just leave it that way. You're someone coming out of this from a completely fresh approach. And I appreciate youthful folks like you looking at this and understanding that this is worth fighting for and reestablishing. So Absolutely. we're getting low, low on time for our first half of the show. Uh, we'll have to take a break here in a few minutes. But let's let's jump in. We've got a, a, a little bit less than five minutes to talk a little bit about um, crypto versus uh, Bitcoin. So uh, in just a couple of minutes, what's the difference between Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and why does that matter? So, yeah. So so one of the problems is within the whole this whole ecosystem, what we call like Web3, right? You know, Web2 being like traditional Internet, uh, you know, an Internet that's curated by major companies, Google, Apple, Amazon, any of, any of these companies. 
Web3 is supposedly decentralized. You don't have major centralized actors. Everybody owns their own data, their own content, and are equal participants in the network. So that's why we call Web3. And Web3 started with its original um, entry was Bitcoin, right? And Bitcoin came about at a time when you know you had the you, the, the mortgage crisis, where not you've had people throughout the world who haven't been able to to trust their own country, their own currencies. Whether you're looking at Zimbabwe, Argentina, uh, Germany, all of these other places, you know this isn't something that we in the U.S. have had acutely, but has been more of an issue. But then during this time, was a big deal in in the U.S. with regards to all the money was being spent. The the devaluation of the dollar versus other foreign currencies, mm-hmm. and 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 there was also this this nexus combination of um, advancements in in cryptography and other ways where you could actually have this token, this Bitcoin that was originally supposed to be a currency, hence the name cryptocurrency. Right, that all the actors can participate in the network itself expanded the the, the Bitcoin supply expanded uh, expanded based on mathematical algorithms that every participant knew wasn't based on the Fed or some politician or some other inflationary metric that you know was outside of, of the participants' knowledge. And so it was supposed to be this, this tool to transfer value and transact in a way that wasn't corrupted by any kind of outside forces. And so that's kind of what Bitcoin was, and Bitcoin was the first. But now there's, there's literally thousands of other tokens within the Web3 ecosystem that do all kinds of various different things. For let's say, you know, like I'm wearing, I just happened to be wearing the shirt Filecoin, decentralized storage. There's other ones for decentralized internet or decentralized networks, decentralized cloud computing, all of these things out there. And yes, a lot of these projects and a lot of these tokens will go to zero. You will see um, a lot of failure, just like with any startup ecosystem. But we, we believe that it's going to be a, a real competitor to the centralized systems going forward. And the technology, again, has only been around since around late 2009. And even then, you've seen massive leaps and bounds um, in its development. So, again, the, the jury's still out and we're still in the, you know, the first or second inning of this. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot more to come. So at that point, and um, we'll have to take a break here in about a minute. Uh, I want to explore some more issues relating to how this actually does link to freedom. The concept here, I think, in, in, in many ways, Tim, is the idea that individuals should not have to depend on government and governance for their wealth and values. Is that a good summary of kind of what's going on behind this? Absolutely. And just as a segue into, uh, I think, what we'll talk about next is this is what's becoming more of a problem because all of these things are cute when you got a couple guys and you know, an internet cafe, cafe doing it. But then yeah. when you start having multi-million dollar growth and asset managers getting involved in big companies and, and instituted players now being threatened, you know, now it starts being something that the governments have to address. And that's what we're going to talk about. And part two of the show is how things have gotten interesting, to say the least, with certain people playing certain roles on the big international stage regarding the future of cryptocurrency. So anyways, Tony Schaefer, uh, this is The Hard Truth. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. It's a reminder, we're, we are actually broadcast on the America Out Loud Talk Network. Uh, great to have them as our flagship uh, outlet. And also, uh, we are powered by Six Hour. Never settle. All right, we'll be back very soon. You already
already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. We wouldn't go a day without washing our hands, brushing our teeth, and washing our nose. Well, wait, we wash our nose? Yes, the number one place where bacteria, viruses, and pollen enter the body is through the nose. So the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for bacteria, viruses, and irritants to get into your nose and make you sick. For an extra layer of protection, wash your nose with Clear. That is Clear, X-L-E-A-R. Clear's drug-free nasal spray features xylitol, an ingredient proven to block adhesion of many nasty bacteria and viruses, and effectively clean, not just rinse like a saline, but wash your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. Read the research studies for yourself at clear.com. That's X-L-E-A-R.com. Protect yourself from the pathogens and junk you breathe. Pick up a bottle for you and your family today. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. America OUTLOUD beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. Welcome back. Our truth, Tony Schaefer, part two. Today, uh, we are, as always, uh, on the America Out Loud radio network. Uh, we're happy to be here and uh, providing the network and the American people good, solid information that is often very hard and very true, just saying. And then we are powered by Six Hour. My friends at Six Hour never settle, and I never settle, and nor should you. you always go with SIG if you're going to select a firearm to protect yourself. So, 
Here we are, part two. We are joined, uh, part two, with Elizabeth Breckenkamp, an excellent producer and honor person that's going to be going through things with us today. And as Chris Cordani, our executive producer and uh, senior tech who does the magic. And how he does it, I don't know, but boy, he does. And then our, our guest today is a senior fellow from both London Center and Project Sentinel is Tim Fury. Tim, again, welcome back to The Hard Truth. And uh, let's just jump right into it because we were just uh, going through and trying to explain to the good folks crypto versus Bitcoin. Can you just give us a, a you know, because Elizabeth, how did you phrase your question? Because I, I think you you actually had a curiosity about that. If you could, if you could restate the question for the audience. Oh, basically, I was saying that um, I think the average American hears about Bitcoin and they hear cryptocurrency. They don't really understand what the difference is. You can research it all day long on Google, DuckDuckGo, but it's still, I think for the average American, they're trying to figure out if I can't physically touch it, how do I know it's stable? How How is it really going to benefit me? And so I think people want to know what the difference is between Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, which is more stable, which is more trustworthy. It's kind of a complicated question because cryptocurrency, I would say, is an old term for an entire classification of these digital assets, of which Bitcoin was the first and is still the biggest with regards to the amount of money that's been put into it. And Bitcoin itself was meant as a currency. It was meant to be a replacement or a a um, you know addition to the U.S. dollar or the, the Japanese yen, um, whereas the original inventors thought that you know you could basically have this exchange of value on your phone and you can go and use it to you know buy coffee or do anything else, and they would actively try to get this adoption. Now things have changed with the massive run up of of the value of Bitcoin. It's more of like a a digital gold than a digital dollar. But again, there's nothing backing the U.S currency either right and so bitcoin has this certain mystique about it is in that it's this currency that's outside of government control it's controlled by mathematical algorithm that uh and and not some you know the politi politician du jour um and so a lot of people have attributed a lot of value to this and has driven the price up to you know into the high 60 60 thousands now the price of course then goes goes up and down in these market cycles but over the long run you have seen the token appreciate now of course just because something's gone up over a certain period of time doesn't mean it'll um you know continue going up this is um basic investing 101 but you know it's not necessarily that let's say the value of Bitcoin is so great. It's the value of the dollar is so awful, right? If you had mm -hmm. held on to your dollars over the past few decades, you'd be down, you know, 90 something percent. Um, there are all kinds of other tokens out there that do all kinds of things. Some are very complex. Um, some are as simple as, let's say, you know, one of the ones that we at the LTX work with is uh, Filecoin, which is for decentralized file storage, right? So instead of using Amazon or one of these big centralized entities that can come around and let's say like with Parler and then just cancel your website because they cancel your ability to manage your data. Um, this is all decentralized. They can't the the network can't discriminate, right? So there's all kinds of use cases for that. Now I would say though that there's a lot of people talking about these things as getting rich, rich quick schemes, and a lot of it was based on people you know using the you know the wonderful wide world of the internet here been able to raise a lot of money very quickly on these token projects, right? With little more than potentially an idea or a plan or what we call a white paper, right? And so a lot of people did get rich getting in early on a lot of these things. I would not advocate anybody jumping in because a lot of this on a lot of these, what they call altcoins, 
um, you know, because it's thousands of these things. And you're right, maybe you get it and it doubles in, in a week, right? Or you could lose all your money in a week. So a lot of these things just wind up becoming gambling. Some project, obviously some projects are scams or garbage or won't go anywhere. Um, but, you know, a lot of the, there is a lot of work and a lot of smart people that are coming into the space and see the potential of building out these networks. And, and again, this is only a, an entire ecosystem that's about 10 years old. So, you know, the, the potential is still there, but we're not sure where this is going to end up yet. So, Tim, to that, uh, to follow up that directly, there, to your point regarding political issues relating to investment, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, can't, you can't talk about this without mentioning Sam Bankman-Fried and uh, FTX. A lot of folks think that was, to your point, a pump and dump scheme where essentially it was all uh, high risk, l very little uh, prospects of return. They, they hired huge names like um, um, Larry David to do the promotion. Uh, that quarterback guy that re-retired, which I don't want to bring his name up because we'll offend listeners probably in some audiences because he's retiring again, just saying. And then um, basketball players and everything else basically trying to create this illusion of trust to get hard currency and then issue them quote-unquote tokens. And then those tokens became essentially backed somewhat by currency, but not really, because they could just basically make – Tokens out of thin air. It's like, oh, yeah, we've got a million tokens and they're worth X. They could assign their own value. Uh, that's dangerous to me. It's like even I'm not I'm not a crypto guy and I'm not an economist, but man, uh, someone with unlimited authority kind of assigned value to their own tokens. That's not a good idea, is it? I mean, it, it seems to me they got in a lot of trouble pretty quick by doing it. Yes. Yeah, so, so let me take a step back and then I'll I'll. I'll, I'll... I'll, I'll get into the whole FTX and yeah, because I think that, that. We, people need to regain confidence that people like you know what you're doing, and that was an anomaly. Just saying. So. Got it. So, so one of the things the use cases for these decentralized systems is to revolutionize finance, right? Yeah. Like if, if I'm going to send, I can send a Bitcoin from my wallet, from my phone, the wallet on my phone, to somebody in Japan in 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 minutes, right, or or seconds. Whereas otherwise, this would could take hours and all kinds of headaches and all kinds of fees and all this other stuff and it's a real nightmare, right? That's a very simple explanation, but there's all kinds of other financial uh, use cases and tools and lending and all kinds of things and trading that, that this technology is already revolutionizing, right? And so this has created a lot of problems within the SEC um, uh, and a lot of other branches of government that, that kind of see this as a threat to the current regulatory environment. It used to be more that you know, the, even the private sector, the banks were against us because obviously, if you never, if you never, you don't, don't have to use the, let's say, their wire services to transfer value from point A to point B, they're losing a lot of money. And most banks are not going out there making the bulk of their revenues because they're making investments in companies or this or that or making speculatory plays. They make it off these fees, right? A, a point here, two points there. That's where the bulk of Wall Street's revenues run from. And look. They love that more than they would do that day and night versus, let's say, buying stock in some new company, right? That's and a venture, so, not yeah. That fee is yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. So in, right. in the U.S., in the U.S., and I and I also wrote a a, a piece on this. It's called um, "Is the U.S. Blowing It on Blockchain?" That was published in National Review. Um, of the U.S. has used very successfully used its uh, securities laws as a way to really hamper the industry domestically, right? So. A lot of the creators have, have have left to go to greener pastures in Europe or abroad. I mean, there's a saying that you know the whole uh, Web three economy is 
uh, American entrepreneurs living in Europe, making uh, you know on Asian capital that are solving problems in Latin America and Africa. You know, and and, and the U.S. is really missing out on it in a way that, let's say, if you look at how we really captured Web two with regard yeah. to Silicon Valley and being at the the forefront of the internet. I mean, think about how much economic value that's added to the country. Now, imagine that had been birthed in in China or France or somewhere else, right? And so that's at a real risk of, of happening here. So that's kind of the backdrop. And and where you have this economic um, this 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 problem where the regulators are actually disincentivizing American companies to be here, you wind up going into this SBF problem where when he set up the company FTX, his trading organization, he did it offshore. He did it in the Bahamas, mm-hmm. right? And so this is part of the, the problem too, in that you didn't really have any, um, you know, it was kind of an arm's length distance away. And the guy who ran at SBF or Sam Bankman-Fried, um, he was the guy who had made a lot of money trading Bitcoins across countries and basically built up his trading outfit into like a major platform. If you think of like E-Trade or, or Ameritrade or any of these other companies, Schwab, um, that's pretty much what he built up. And and then what happened is, is he also created his own token out of this, this token FTT, which supposedly, you know, gave you rights to, let's say, trading fee discounts or, or other kind of benefits uh, for using it on the network. So think about any of the membership rewards that you use, at, let's say Sam's Club or Costco or, or something like that. So kind of a similar mindset, but it's more, a little bit more liquid in that he could trade those FTT tokens. He could use those as collateral. There was a assigned dollar value based on these secondary market exchanges, right? You don't quite really do that with your, you know, your Costco membership, right? <laughs> um, you know, you can't use that as, let's say, collateral for a loan or something. But that was he was able to do that. And I think basically what happened wasn't really necessarily something that was unique to crypto. He was having issues and taking. Um, depositor money or people who had trading accounts with him, taking that money and filling the holes in the business um, with uh, investor or or traders funds. So he's using other people's money to fill the holes in his domestic business, right? And and that's not new to crypto. That's been going on for decades. Um, I mean, you look at Bernie Madoff was similar. Some of the other big banks that got in trouble did similar things. Like there was not that you know, in, in the U.S. regulatory system, if you're a broker dealer or investment bank, you have to have your uh, customer funds segregated, right? You can't go yeah. in there and pay your electric bills based on um, Elizabeth's uh, personal trading account, right? That's a real no-no. And that's effectively what he did. Now, um, what also made him very interesting was that he used a lot of this money to gain political favor. And so he oh, was yeah. running around seating a lot of politicians um proposing regulatory changes that he was personally working to usher in which of course would create a benefit for his company because he would have all the special keys to get whatever access to to you know to to getting past these markets that were were necessary so, so well, it was a pure this- regulatory capture type situation and then he got caught in a run on the bank and the whole thing blew up. The emperor had new clothes mm-hmm. and now he's facing a lot of time in jail. Well, the thing about the thing about Madoff, though, is he was a legit guy for a long time. He was the uh, cool. he, he was trusted. He he did the right thing for a while and it just kind of snowballed after that because he figured, hey, he just stepped over the line a little bit and it just kept getting worse and worse. 
But people trusted him because he was a legit guy. He didn't come out of nowhere. Oh. He wasn't a tech that came out of nowhere. He was with NASDAQ. He was a big, big wig in, in the legit investing field. That's that's the big difference between uh, what people might be scared of when it comes to Bitcoin and uh, why they trusted somebody like uh, like uh, Bernie Madoff. But let me let me just say this. Well, Ooh. number one, with 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 Madoff, he actually was running an illegal uh, money managing firm. Like he was basically at two parallel businesses. He had the one that was the very legit, and he was certainly one of the titans of Wall Street. But he was always running this illegal um, uh, money manager firm that was unlicensed and everything, even from his early days. And this right. just kept it going. And at one point, when his when his margins up here got compressed, he relied more and more on the illegal business. But it was it was very strange that even when he was killing it up top, he was still running this thing. But yeah, I mean, it, the, the parallels with SBF and the FTX collapse are, are pretty crazy. And, and one of the other interesting things, that, that because there's tons of unfortunately funny things coming out of this story, is that he gave a lot of money to the politicians, right? And so all these politicians decided, you know, this is stolen other people's money. And a lot of these guys thought, well, we're going to donate it to charity, right? So, which is that makes it right. Uh, yeah. The okay. same case as if somebody goes in and robs your house, steals your TV and your electronics and your your grandma's jewelry, takes it to your local politician, and instead of them giving back to you, they're going to give it to their favorite charity for to to, to to gather favor. So, I think any of these politicians that were that, that did that, really, you need to look at them. If these are not trustworthy people, because that is just an insane thing to do, especially after you found out that this guy stole the money. And instead of saying, hey, let's figure out how we're going to get it back to these people, your attitude is let's donate it to one of my favorite charities who in, I, I bet you, in almost every one of those cases have endorsed that politician or another Of course. <laughs> it's it's exactly. power. So, but that, to that point, Tim, huh. it was very clear that uh, SBF was seeking to essentially shut the barn door behind him to basically allow his pump and dump scheme and kind of his view of how crypto should work to be protected by the very regulations that would pre prevent others from having the access to the market and freedom, especially regarding tracking of, of currency and oversight by the Federal Reserve and other organizations. How do you stop that next time from having someone like a CZ or a SBF coming in and saying, oh, yeah, you're right. We're we are a dirty, awful lot and we need to be regulated. And therefore, I'm here to help you regulate as long as you don't regulate me. Yes. So so one thing that it's also worth noting, too, is that, you know, a lot of people within the crypto community are rather like minded with their they're just kind of inherently more, you know, freedom, individual rights oriented. So a lot of them looked at SBF and, and saw a lot of things that he was doing and was like, wait a minute. This is the entire type of thing that we got into this industry, that we built this out to get away from this BS. And the other thing is SBF wasn't really a, you know, a crypto guy. He was a, a trader. A regular no, he was an arbitrage guy. He was at a company called Jane Street Capital. Right. And he even said he would have traded orange futures versus crypto if he could make his, make his much money. So he's not really even a crypto guy. He was just a grifter that found a good opportunity. Maybe he was a great trader and made a lot of money off it. I, I got one last very serious question for you, Tim. Uh, and, and answer however you wish. But... Do you does Sam Bankman Freed smell as bad as he looks? I mean, does he smell like <laughs> the weak old Cheetos? That dude needs a serious haircut. And, be, and, and essentially a five day old underwear that's been sitting, you know, next to the bat. I mean, is 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 that the? I mean, I don't know these things because I don't he hang out awful. with him. man. That 
It's like, man, I, I can smell you from, from, you know, from the video for God's sake. I mean, yeah, what's you know, up with I've, your hair? I've, I've, I've never met the guy. I've known a lot of, uh, very, very brilliant, uh, tech guys, but I gotta say though, it's, uh, it's an industry and a community that's not exactly, uh, going to be featured in GQ anytime soon. <laughs> Invest in soap in a comb or something. That would be pretty yeah. nice. Oh, if, you, if you have all man. money, a little bit of a, a, little bit of, uh, yeah, a zest body soap and, and uh, maybe a... that very simple. Like if, if you're going to be a lawyer or something like that or a doctor or something, for the most part, right? You got to show up to work. You got to be somewhat presentable and all these other things, right? You know, this is an entire community for decades that makes a stupid amount of money sitting at home and they'll show up and like, look, I'll complete, you know, they'll show up at a meeting in sandals and, and jorts and say that, look, yeah. uh, I can mm. go to your website and do all this functionality in a week and get it done and debug it and all this stuff like that. I'll do whatever I want. And I'm going to go back to my cave now. So, it's like the, yeah, it's I like mean, the dude from uh, Big Lebowski with money. That's, yeah. that's kind of what I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, anyway. All right, here we go. <laughs> we'll get, we do have a new segment. Uh, we have a, well, we have the new segment for, uh, the uh, Hard Truth with Tony Schaefer on the America Outloud Radio Network. And here it is. It's Tony's take. We're going to find out what's going on around the world and uh, get your take on it. We have a few minutes left for this one. All right. First, big announcement this week, Nikki Haley running for president. Uh, there was some laughs, but I got to tell you, I believe she's a serious contender. She has name recognition and likability. The likability is something that the current front runner, front, front runner who has done a great job as president, may not have amongst independents. Well, I think she's uh, clearly uh, focused on trying to get someone's attention so she'll be their vice presidential pick, but she has no chance. I've met the woman, nothing against her. It's just there's three things that I think there's going to be a problem with. First, who's the constituency she's really going for? During the time she, she was uh, around Trump, she would say things kind of opposing the candidate, as you just point out, Chris. I mean, it's like, yeah, uh, she wasn't like on board with some of the things he was doing. Her leadership in South Carolina, while notable, wasn't uh, like groundbreaking. And that, that I don't think she's a Ron DeSantis. She didn't do things which really drew national attention in a good way. And third, I don't think the big donors are going to be behind her. I just don't see that. I just don't see her being the ball of energy that uh, is, is that has the personality to carry through and go forward. So those that's my assessment. I, over to you guys on this. I think that she is one, and there's obviously uh, several other competitors jumping in, but I think that, you know, stepping back, I think she's somebody that definitely is worthy to be in the arena. And I have to say, and I, I don't think I've ever said this before, I think that what you'll wind up with is uh, an entire slate of very qualified candidates. And I, and I think Haley does, you know, de uh, deserve, um, you know, the respect of being somebody that can be on the presidential scene. And I think you'll see a lot more of it. And I think this really bodes well for the GOP. Uh, and I don't think the Democrats can really say that right now. I think the Democrats have a real problem where they're going with like, you know, the exit of kind of the old school folks like, you know, the Bidens and Feinsteins of the world and a, a kind of radicalized um, firebrands at their base who I don't know if they have any kind of, and I hope they don't have any kind of national ability to draw real mass appeal because a lot of what they say is, is absolutely crazy. I mean, you just had literally. Literally, you had, 161, yeah. you had 161 Democrats who I think voted to allow non-citizens to vote in these <laughs> elections. I mean, I mean, what do we, we talk about? Yes, the, the Republican Party certainly has some some firebrands and crazies in it. 
But again, you can kind of count and point them out, right? You can list them. The problem with the Democrats is they have a massive amount of their, you know, their core body that are like, I cannot believe you just voted for that. Yeah. And I'm not speaking as, let's say, some staunch conservative or something, but somebody that basically knows how things work. And no, I watched how New York has declined because right. of the craziness. Tim, yeah, Tim, you're, you're not staunch. You're a good. But we're, go but saying, we're actually yeah. talking about whether she can win or not and what, well, and, she and can, what we but, think of her. All right, well, next hold, question, hold Chris. Second. Bill Clinton couldn't win either. But here, here we go. Here's another question Bill for Clinton you. <laughs> okay. Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't want to talk about. Right, right. I know what I I'm saying. Is also, ran sometimes I come out of nowhere. I Chris. I feel your pain. <laughs> I feel, can I feel your pain, Chris? Uh, Elon Musk was at the World Government Summit. He was. Yes, he was. And he yes, criticized he the concept of world government, telling it right to their faces. This is another guy. Him and Donald Trump are guys with a lot of money that don't mind being excluded from this playground and telling them, okay, you don't want to play with yeah. us. We don't like what you're doing. What do you, what's your take on that? So I think I, I often, from just watching this, I did watch this this morning, as a matter of fact, not knowing this was coming up. <clears throat> And my impression was uh, Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx once said, I would not be a member of any club that would take me as a member. And that's the way I think Musk kind of presented it. It's like, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be in your club. That's and true. too much power is not a good thing, right? I mean, am I am I wrong here? No, it's like, uh, hey, dude, you know, uh, thanks for letting me speak to you, but I'm not in on this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not on board. What do you all think? I, mean, I, I got another one for you. We have about a minute left. James Clapper walked back on, the, on signing that 50, uh, 50 uh, that, that letter with uh, 50 intelligence uh, officials saying yeah. the Hunter laptop or the Hunter Biden laptop was not real. He's walking back on yeah. that. You know, I'm sure you have a lot to say about him. If we, if we can try to squeeze that in so, seconds. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I've been in the room with him several times and he does smell like Munster cheese. If you, if you can like imagine Munster. <laughs> I think it's the dome. I think it's together. the shiny thing that just gives off like mm, cheese. Oh. Oh. So. Jimmy Clapper, and by the way, I've got a piece of paper. You can check it out on Twitter. He promoted me to GS-12. I actually put it out there as when I was a very young operative and over in the Air Force. So I know the man. It's not like I can walk away from it. I got to tell you, out of all the generals I've briefed and interacted with, he's got to be probably the dumbest of all of them and most political. He has made all of his hay by being completely pliable and, and, and bereft of any uh, ethics or or an idea of trying to live up to his oath of office. I hope Jim hears this because uh, I would love to debate him on all the stuff I personally know he did or did not do. And this whole idea is like, oh, yeah, we signed this letter, but we really didn't like mean it was like seriously Russian propaganda. We just thought we, we meant to say it might be looking like Russian propaganda if I ever knew what Russian propaganda was, because I don't know what it is. So what do, you know, I'm just commenting because, you know, someone gave me this letter to sign. That's what he did. And I'm just telling you, Jim Clapper is all that is wrong with the national security bureaucracy, people who will uh, mitigate their, their personal views for, prop for, for uh, propositioning the politicians above them to promote them and be part of a political narrative rather than part of the American, uh, uh, the American uh, Republic, which he's actually signed up to support. It's very bad. And this is just this is as tragic as it gets. It was political and uh, election interference by a man who should be in jail for violating U.S. citizens' rights regarding illegal surveillance. But what do I know? I'm only a retired intelligence officer. Yeah, and let me, let me just say we do, know it's, we do know it's time to end the show, though. <laughs> so, I know. We got to go. I know. It was great. So uh, while it's been a great a great show, let me thank our participants, Elizabeth Breckenkamp, uh, 
she is uh, vivacious and lovely. And uh, if you if you can't see her on the radio, shame on you. You should check out our video then too. And then obviously Chris Gordani is the extraordinary producer of our program. If it wasn't for him, uh, you'd be listening to me. I don't know where. So Tim is, is Chris is able to do this. And of course, last but not least, Tim Fury. Tim, thank you for helping us go through. I think what would be described as a, a, a very practical understanding of the Second Amendment and some of the is issues and rhetoric, with, which is now being kind of thrown about, and then crypto and, and Bitcoin. I, I really do appreciate your time today. And uh, I know I said this in pre-interviews, like I wanted to talk to you about all this stuff anyway. So it's so convenient that we actually get to share it with the audience. So thanks again for being here. And uh, thank you all, the audience, for being here. This has been The Hard Truth with uh, Tony Schaefer. We are powered by Six Hour, uh, never settle. And then we are on the America Out Loud radio network as our primary venue and uh, presenter of our information. So uh, thanks for being with us today. And we'll be back again with you next week. I woke up in a derelict delirium To a stranger's kiss and a broken opinion you know